Welcome to Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach with Mark Gellard and Candy Reid. Hello everyone and welcome to season two of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach. We do hope you enjoyed what Mark and I talked about in 2023. As always, your suggestions are very welcome. We're going to get an update today on what Mark has been up to and next week we're going to include a coach of Vavara Gracheva and Anna Blinkova and one who's also worked with the 16-year-old phenom Mira Andreva. So please stay tuned for that. But right now it's all about Mark Gellard, coach of Magda Lynette. Mark, we've been a bit lax once again, but we found ourselves in Australia at the first major of the year. First of all, how are you? Hi, Candy. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning back in and a follow with you, Candy, there. Sorry for slacking a little bit the last few weeks, but it's good to be back, even though uh, we're down in Australia right now. We haven't had the best start, but um, we are back in 2024 is underway. Yeah, I think we've got an excuse, though, for our, our blacks, because I've been on Hong Kong for the men and then Hobart for the women. And you, Mark, what have you been doing? We finished up our off-season, left for... Australia on the 24th of December arrived on the 26th so we actually managed to skip Christmas Day completely <laughs> and then um and then uh we played Brisbane where we won uh we won a nice first round there against Christina Buxer and then lost to Daria Kasatkina and then uh last week in Adelaide we had a tough one there, a little bit of a heartbreaker against Alexandrova where we lost in um three sets seven five in the third after having four match points and then yesterday, or should I say last night, we had a, a an unfortunate loss to Caroline Wozniak, the Australian Open, down 6-2, 2-0, and uh, were forced to retire with some, some injury problems. So, yeah, it wasn't ideal, but um, that's tennis. Yeah, it's heartbreaking, isn't it, for Magda? Because uh, we'll remind everyone listening that she got to the semifinals of the Australian Open last year. The first time, I think, she'd been in the second week of the major, and she made it all the way to the final four, and you had such jubilation didn't you that was when mark you and i met for the first time at last year's australian open and everything was so great and now of course uh, a very different mood in the camp how are you all dealing with it yeah it's uh, unfortunately it's sports you, you you know the highs are high and the lows are really low it's a tough day today um a lot of points lost ranking is going to drop but that's the reality of of the sport and i think she's going to have to you know, kind of start somewhat of, I would say, a rebuild here now where we, um, uh, you know, just uh, sort of, you know, the points have been shared that, you know, we just have to start fresh from now for us. I think 2024 will start on the next event and hopefully we can be, um, you know, just more in a, in a more calm place without the expectation and pressure that we've been probably hanging over us for the last three or four months, which as a coach, I feel has really been affecting the way she's she's played. It's something that I think as fans, we don't really understand, but it's defending points. So when you've done well the next year, you have to do equally as well for those points not to drop off. And there's a lot of psychological baggage, isn't there, with that? Yeah, because, you know, so last year when we made it here to the semifinals, we picked up about 750 points, something like that. And if you don't make the semifinals again this year, you lose all of those points. So they're taking off your ranking and that means you're going to drop down in, in, in the numbers, which then has a knock on effect because now you might not be able to enter certain events that you had been last year. You won't be seeded in certain events um, like you had before. So you may even have to go through qualifying. So it has a massive effect in terms of what it does 
long term to your to your schedule to the money you're likely to make or lose um and just obviously things get tougher now because being unseeded means you can play the number one in the world in the first round which we've been able to avoid for the past year having been seeded and on Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach uh, Season 1, we documented how nice it is when you're top 20 because you do get a lot of extra privileges, which you now won't. Yeah, we're de we've definitely been lucky to get, you know, you, you know, the big thing is as a coach, you're getting some buys in the first rounds, which is really, um, you know, that really makes a big difference and, and, and helps you, um, you know, just like I said, avoiding those top players is so huge um, in the early rounds. And then, having to win one less match every week is, is a huge advantage. So I think, um, and then you get the bend that you get all the nice little extra bits, whether it's off court, private cars or nicer hotel rooms. So you have to go back where you have to earn that stuff. And I think um, hopefully that we've had a taste of it for the past year. Now we can, um, that the hunger and motivation will be there to, to do it again. Do you think even though uh, Magda's injured and out of the Australian Open, do you think that she's a better player now, 12 months on? Yeah. Yeah, I, I 100% we're a better player. Um, just and I've done a lot of looking at that in terms of stats and and everything like that. I just think at the reality is the last few months we've been a worse competitor. Mm. The, the the pressures and the expectations we're we're a better player and a worse competitor, and that's what needs to flip a little bit now. And I hope it will, having sort of shed the skin here in Australia and the monkeys off the back a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think that um, probably she was her own biggest enemy. I think that's the funny thing with the pressure and expectations is that actually it was mainly coming from her, that all those thoughts, all those feelings, it wasn't really coming from outside. It was coming from her. So, um, yeah, it was um, it's, it's been an experience for all of us and something we can learn for sure. Wouldn't it be learn lovely if someone us. could invent something, you could just rem remove all that baggage, all the scar tissue and just kind of start again, just play tennis. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be, I mean, and this is why I really advocate in a way that, that the juniors shouldn't at a young age be having competitions where there's rankings and points on the line. I think it's a real bad idea for 10s, 12s, maybe even 14s having all these rankings because it really puts so much pressure on people at such a young age to try and, it's not realistic or it is, it is the reality of the future that they're going to have to do this, but it puts so much unnecessary pressure on you so young. It stops the development because then results become more important than the process of improving. And I think that's something that's happened to us this year is that we've improved a lot as a player, but as a, as a competitor, again, I think we've just become more and more fearful. Mm. So playing with fear is not a good, a good solution. And I totally agree with you because the age group that I coach really is between 12 and 14. And it's the parents that get so worried about the ranking and, uh, and places and points and all that stuff. And then it filters down to the child and then the child can't perform properly because they're so racked with nervousness and, and fear. So let's scrap all points under 14. I like that, Mark Gellard. Uh, we'll be on yeah, to the I, ITF. Yeah, I mean, I really do. I really do think, I think, um, you know, I've talked to some other coaches this week as well. And we're just talking about, especially with the girls, you know, a big difference with like the way, you know, for example, on the court, you know, trying to teach you know i think i've said this before but you know i think that for whatever reason and i'll be controversial here is that the the female players tennis iq doesn't seem to be quite as high as the men's mm. don't know the reason for it welcome to have to argue my point with anybody 
but I think that because so often the, the females are not as quite as able to separate the results from the process. And I think one of the funny indicators to me of that is even if you just watch the handshakes at the ends of matches, you'll often see the men <laughs> hug, embrace and talk as look the at, women look at each other in the eye, <laughs> look at each other in the eye exchange. Whereas the, whereas the women that's, that's hard because it's a personal scalp. Yeah. They feel personally um, not offended, but you know, hurt by it when the reality is it's just tennis. And so, you know, I feel that a lot of the 13, 14 year old boys that maybe I work with when I'm back in Florida are more um, developed intellectually, but on the court, sorry, tennis IQ wise, but then the blame of that could be uh, the men because the mm. men are the main coaches of the women. Right. So who, who takes the blame on yeah, that? That's but a good point. I think, I think that we need to change that, especially for the young players that what happens ranking wise early on is not important. It's really about development. Yeah, and I, I do agree with you. I think some of the girls, particularly, they have very strong dads in many of the cases who actually think for them rather than letting the child get on with it and make their own mistakes and, and work them out. Um, just getting back to the Australian Open, how how has the tournament been? Any changes from last year that you've liked, disliked? The event is always a very nicely run event. Um, I, I was disappointed a little bit with the lack of um, I thought they would give Maida a little bit more props for what she did last year. We didn't see anything with her or name on it or any posts, which was disappointing from them. Um, but okay, they have their favorites. I think uh, if, if you if you don't, you know, in, in professional sports, I'm sure it's all sports, but especially in tennis, if you don't have the right last name, you're not going to get um, the credit that you probably should. But th as an event goes, um, Australia is probably the best one in terms of facilities and everything like that. So I think uh, really is a great place to to come and play tennis. And I think as a spectator or a tennis fan, it's probably the best of all the slams to come and watch as well. So many tickets available and, and starting on an extra Sunday. What did you think about that? First time for the Australian Open. Didn't love the Sunday start because we lost. Um, <laughs> but um, I didn't like that with that, that they didn't, you know, also they didn't... Um, announce it or con consult with the players not that they have to but i think it would have been a nice um even if it was just a token gesture i think it would have been something nice for them to do um and i think we discussed before we started recording that there was a few other things like this year um they were allowing fans to get in and out of the stands during non-changeover between games so for example at two all fans could come in and out of the stadium which mm -hmm. is unusual for tennis because it's usually always done on odd numbers so um, some few few tweaks in the rules. The off-court coaching was allowed. Uh, this year, they provided coaches with uh, the opportunity to have physio and massage for half an hour on site, okay. which was a nice bonus. Um, and they give some real nice, um, they have great apps on the phone here for booking transports and practices and things like that. So they do a really good job here managing and organizing the event. All right. Sounds good. So the plan next, because Magda is out of the Australian Open, what is the schedule for you? We're going to have an evaluation here, see what happens with the leg um, once we get a, a scan on that today, see what the results are, and then decide if she's going to be able to play Joaquin in a couple of weeks, which is a 250 event. Uh, she has fond memories of that place because we were there um, mm -hmm. in 2020. I think she won the event. Um, yeah, the so, title. Yeah, she won one of her two titles there. So that was always good memories. So... Hopefully we can um, make it to that if the leg recovers in time. So we're, we're just going to keep working and 
see if we can rest up and get it prepared. And now, of course, is the challenge of what you do, because we're in Monday, early stages of the Australian Open, and Joaquin is a couple of weeks away. So have you got any plans? Yes. So I think we're going to, once we get the results, we'll know what we're going to do. And is this either going to be something we need some extended rest where we'll go back to the States to do that? Or are we going to stay in the area and and use the uh, physiotherapists and doctors available on site in Melbourne, or maybe even find a a training base somewhere in Asia, Indonesia or or China, if if we can just to go back there and use as as a home base for a couple of weeks and see if we can get ready for, for the next event, really. It's a bit of a logistical nightmare, isn't it? It's something that, uh, again, we at home don't really consider how much you have to go through. Yeah, I think uh, this stuff is the part you hate about coaching and traveling on the tour. It's the book in the hotels and the flights. And then you have a tough loss like last night and you really just want to lay in bed all day and not do anything because you feel real down about it. But you have to you have to get back up on the horse and um you know, start preparing yourself for what whatever's next, whatever tournament we're playing next. And, uh, you know, like you said, it's not an easy part of the job, but that's why I think, um, you know, having a strong team around Magda is really important that we know what, um, you know, that we have some experience here to sort of keep her confident and know what's best. It's just a tricky thing, as any coach knows, when you have a player that's injured, it's such a hard call to make because you, you know, you don't know that person's body. They know their body better than anyone. So it's, you want to advise them. You don't want to leave them to make the decision alone. But at the same time, I think it's got to be more of a, if if she feels she can't play, she needs to not play. And if she feels she can, then then she probably should. Um, Just, you've been around the tournament now for several days, including practice, of course. Uh, have you got any feeling about who might win it? The, the, on the women's side, I, I just think it's such a tough thing to bet against Eager for me. I think yeah. she's she's just so hard to bet against. And she obviously didn't do as well here last year as she probably wanted. Um, and Sabal- Rybakina looked great beating uh, Sabalenka in the final of Brisbane. So she's obviously, you know, a, a big threat. I think those three are kind of yeah. a little bit separate from everyone else at the moment. But maybe, um, maybe Coco just behind and, and Pegula. Is that how you see it? Yes. Yes, I think probably. I think probably I still think uh, it's going to be tough for either of those two to get through the other three, depending mm. on their draws. But I would definitely put probably I would have Eager down as the number one. And then right now, maybe uh, Rybakina as number number two. Yeah. And with the men again, I think I think you can't really bet against <laughs> Novak. I think he's so uh, he's so tough. Anybody you think that can challenge him? Do you think Sinner's got a chance when he's first major? Yeah, I think Sinner's probably his biggest threat. I think Alcaraz is always there, but he hasn't been maybe quite as, you know, uh, the last couple of months weren't great end of the season to him. He hasn't played any warm-up events mm. for this for the Australian Open, so it's hard to judge where he's at. Um, I think Sinner's obviously a great player. You've obviously always got to have Medvedev in the conversation, but I think now that Novak is... Um, mm where he's playing, I think he still would beat Daniel um, most most times. But yeah, it's 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 a great, it's tough to say right now. It really is. It's going to be an interesting start to the season. Okay, Mark, we'll leave it there, but uh, we will start trying to do weekly Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach podcast. We will try our best, given the fact that you're always on the road and I'm working slightly strange hours as well. You're working hard now. You're in demand <laughs> on the ATP and WTA. Oh, it's all fun, isn't it? I don't think uh, I'm working hard. I think I'm hardly working personally. Um, And I'm sure you feel very much the same when things are going well. 
Exactly. Exactly. All right, Mark, we'll uh, we'll do it again. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Candy. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Season two of Diary of a Professional Tennis Coach is now underway. We're going to speak to Xavier Pujol, the coach of Anna Blinkova and Vavara Gracheva, who works at the Elite Tennis Centre with the head coach there, Jean-René Liznard. The two of them have coached many of the best players, including 16-year-old Mira Andreva. So we'll speak to Xavier and Mark next week. Please join us for that. And as always, don't forget to uh, ask your questions to our Twitter page, at D-O-A-P-T-C. We'd love to hear from you. Bye for now.